business, leadership, high performance, the journey. All right, welcome everybody to the podcast today, and uh, we have a great guest today um, that has lived quite the life thus far. Uh, can't wait to pull a ton of information from him. Uh, you guys are going to find uh, this guy has definitely lived a life thus far and continues to uh, live his ideal life, which uh, really we're going to dive into today. So uh, my guest today, though, is a keynote speaker. He's also the author of the Entrepreneur's Field Guide. Uh, which is built for those who possess a grit, tenacity, and follow-through to design the life they'll be proud to live. Uh, he's also co-founded and successfully exited multiple businesses, uh, including but not limited to School Logic and Golf Now. And each success story uh, that he's had has really uh, been attributed to implementing many of the simple practical tools found within the entrepreneurial operating system, uh, which is in the international best-selling book, Traction, written by Gino Wickman. So by the way, He's also a certified EOS implementer, so it's always always fun to have a fellow implementer on the show here. But since 2008, uh, he's advised hundreds of business owners, leadership teams, uh, all the way up to Olympic athletes. So he's worked with everybody from Agile IT, Beats Electronics, FIFA, uh, Western Union, Zappos, uh, as well as the U.S. and British Olympic teams. So we're very lucky today, though, to be able to uh, uh, have him share an incredible journey and story um, of his life. So from San Diego today, Scott Rusnick. Welcome, man. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm absolutely honored to be here and feel blessed to live the life I've lived. Yeah, so I'm excited to really talk through that because I know a big focus we were going to put around the podcast today on your journey was just living the, your ideal life and really making sure that you're writing the life that you really um, want to be written. So I'm excited to talk with talk with you about that, Scott. I am as well. All right. Well, let's get started right into your journey, man. So originally from Alberta, Canada, now living in San Diego, correct? That's right. <laughs> hey, tell you, tell you what, you go from uh, the frozen tundra, not too far from here, uh, all the way down to, uh, man, does, does it get nicer than San Diego? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I absolutely love San Diego. And uh, my family in Canada is somewhat disappointed in me because I spent, spent half my time in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the other half in San Diego. Um, I can't get <laughs> enough surf, and I can't get enough mountain biking, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, and anybody anybody that does not know who Scott is, he's an extremely avid outdoors uh, outdoors person. Uh, ski, surf, cycling, and that's and it all plays into part of his story, which uh, which we'll dive into here. So, we'll start us at the beginning. Scott, take us through um, the beginning of your journey. Yeah, interesting enough, Patrick. Uh, I sort of fell backwards into being an entrepreneur as a kid growing up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We had this amazing hockey team, which was in the WHA at that time, and they signed this kid named Wayne Gretzky. And I was bugging my dad to death to go to a game, and he said, well, if you want to go to a game, pull together enough money, you pay for your ticket, I'll pay for mine, and off we go. And it was probably the most valuable lesson I've ever been taught in my life. Okay. How so? <laughs> well, I had to pause for a second there because I was going to get emotional, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I knocked on the door. I called the Edmonton Journal. I said, look, I'm a young kid. I'm energetic. 
I'm not ready to bang on a door. Uh, do you have any paper routes open? And they said they did. It was opening in about a month, and that would have been November. Um, and it's a little chilly at that time in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada. Then you know you can get a, a minus 10 to 15 Celsius day any day of the week. They said, well, it's 25 papers. We'll see how you do after the first month. If you can keep all your clients, uh, then you can take the next step and start banging on doors. I got through the first 30 days, and they said, great. And by the way, you've made it through that. We've got a competition for any paper boy or girl that can pick up 10 new households. We'll give you a ticket to the hockey game. So I fell backwards <laughs> into it, and I worked my butt off to get that first 10 group of clients. And I was lucky enough to go to one of the games with my dad. And my dad said to me, it's like, well, to get another 10 clients, we'll go to a couple more games. So right there and then I knew that I wanted to grow my paper out by 10 clients a month and go to as many games as I could. And the entrepreneur was born. It was. And the crazy thing I figured out, a kid in fifth grade, is if I could surround myself with other kids who had the same drive, the same values, were really possessed to take it to the next level. I could grow that paper out, and within two years, I had 250 clients. I had five other kids helping me deliver papers, and the ushers at the hockey game got to know me so well that they thought my parents had season tickets. So it was an absolute <laughs> blast. <laughs> oh, so so this was a repetitive thing. So you had the opportunity multiple times then to to keep going. Yeah, I, I didn't know what a startup was back in the day. I didn't even know what scalable, repeatable business was. But I just knew if I had some people I could rely on and some great clients, off I'd go. Oh, that's awesome. So now, obviously, you take that into business. Um, you've taken that into business for decades now since then, obviously. Yeah, the interesting thing, those lessons that I learned, um, gosh, in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, really carried me forward. And I think the biggest step in my entrepreneurial journey was when I was in college. I was playing junior hockey as well as racing my bicycle and see a better cyclist than a hockey player. Um, I won a national championships, a couple of provincial championships. But my parents basically said, look, we'll help you with the hockey side, but you've got to fund your cycling side. And a decent bike and all the equipment that comes with it, it takes a lot of cash. So I really had to hunker down while I was in college to – find a way to put myself through that okay what what was it about sports scott that really drove you so i always find that interesting you know when you look at the activities that that a kid or teenager you know grew up around um you know was it the competition that early was it the social aspect uh yeah you know patrick the big thing i found was i I didn't really enjoy school and I wanted to be a professional athlete of some sorts. And so I was willing to put in the reps, bleed through my eyes doing intervals to really feel that fire to either live in the States or move to Europe and become a professional cyclist or hockey player. That was my dream. And there was going to be nobody that was going to get in front of me. Awesome. I love it. So where, where did things go from there then? I mean, obviously, you know, I'm jumping ahead in your story here, you know, cycling and um, even just sports in general became a huge part of your life later on. But where did things go from there then, Scott? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So middle of college, I won uh, Canadian championships and I was lucky enough to 
put in some pretty decent effort cycling. In fact, I was fortunate enough to earn a top 10 at Worlds. But, you know, the one thing I realized, Patrick, was that the path to the top involved a ton of politics, outside influence, and tongue-in-cheek, a lot of illicit techniques. And there was no way I was going to get on Lance's bus. I wasn't going to take a seat on that bus ever. And after a dose of reality, I just came back to college and realized I needed to complete that degree. I still competed on the side. It was definitely a passion. still is to this day. But on graduation, I was lucky enough to to get recruited by a well-known corporation where I really enjoyed a number of strong years. But despite that initial success, I knew that I had to follow my entrepreneurial spirit. And my soon-to-be father-in-law, who was a superintendent of schools, said to me, Apple's come out with this product called Mac School. It's really not fabulous. And sorry for all the Apple people out there, but it wasn't great back in the day. So I knocked on the door of a lifelong friend and I simply said, why don't we retool this technology business you're trying to build and turn it into something? Right then I bet the farm on building a technology business, it would take on Apple. And it sounds crazy to this day and age, but that was when they were trading about $7 a share and we thought they were going to go down the toilet, which they obviously didn't. Wow. Because what what years would this would have roughly been around? Yeah, you know, this morning when I was prepping a little bit, I was kind of looking at the calendar, and it was 89, 1990 when the thought started coming, and it was 1990 when I flipped the switch to to really take it up a notch. Okay. Interesting. And I know I want to back up too, Scott, because I think a huge part of your story too is, you know, growing up as a kid and as you started, you know, discovering the entrepreneurial side of yourself and I mean the athletic competition and and such that you that you live for I wanted I wanted you to bring up the piece around I mean some of the struggles that you had in school because I think it's it's super super relevant to of the struggles that a typical entrepreneur goes through as well because it isn't always easy along the way yeah interesting enough Patrick I did a talk on vulnerability last May and there were about 100 people in the room. And I got quite emotional because a lot of people, when they're trying to get to where they want, don't realize their blind spots. And I was lucky enough to have an amazing high school principal and an amazing dean in the college I went to. And they identified the fact that not only did I have a lot of passion and energy, but I was dyslexic. And when they told me that, and I walked through the exercises of learning how to read and put my thoughts down a paper, fireworks went off. Um, it was an absolute game changer for me in the sense that I went from, and we had a nine-point grading scale back then, I went from getting regular letters from the dean saying, you better get yourself up to passing level to actually graduating on the dean's list. Wow. Wow, that's that. Scott, I think what you described, you know, at, man, I know I myself as a teacher, I saw so many situations like that, too, where you had, the, you know, maybe the energetic or rambunctious kid that didn't seem like they were into learning much at all or, you know, just weren't really interested. But when you look back and you realize what was actually going on is 99 percent of the time, those types of personalities were kids that struggled. They struggled in school. They struggled comprehending. They struggled with reading, whatever it was. And 
their talents, their energies and stuff were just shifted into a completely different area. So I always find it interesting when you look at, uh, man, even if you, even as you look at adults too, you know, you look at adults of, of, uh, where they display their talent, where they display their energy, I think tells you so much about them and their past too. Yeah. You know, Patrick, I read a book a couple of years ago uh, written by a fabulous author named Eric Barker, and the book was called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And a couple chapters really stuck out to me. He talked about the average entrepreneur is really that kid, the 2.8 out of 4 GPA, had to fight through things and would realize that when they're up against the ropes and really at a loss for where to turn, they were able to really reset and remember that they're playing the long game and they could dig in with that grit and tenacity to build their version of success, not society's, but their version. And they became pretty darn successful doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to, sorry to back up there. I wanted to bring that up because I do think that is such an important part of your story of where a lot of just overcoming the adversity and the importance of adapting and pushing through really um, a lot of it where it's really born in, in within you, I think. So, okay, back to Apple though. So you, so you started creating this product to compete with Apple, correct? Right. And uh, <laughs> that was a good pause there. Um, we did, and it was an incredible struggle. Um, I can honestly tell you that when my, while when my wife was uh, expecting our first child, there you go, I've combined words already, but when she was expecting our first child, we were about to sign a contract that was going to take the business to the next level. I'd be able to repay the debt. And this is before you'd go for angel investors or go to the bank for me to remortgage my house to be able to pay for this company. About to put pen to, uh, to contract on this massive contract the following week. My wife was eight months pregnant, and I had to check myself in the hospital because I was having a heart attack. I was under so much stress. Luckily enough, no heart attack, just a little too much ice cream and beer that day. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, right? the following week, we, we penned a deal to sign up school, 200 schools in Western Canada to use our product, and that re- really propelled us to the next level. Okay. And then um, I know there was a... There was a situation with a a business partner. Is this the one or was this later on that you ran into a little bit of a situation there? Um, Let's do this. We won't cite who they were or which business they came from. We'll talk about that in a second. But the important part is before we got there was that we decided as well about a year later when my son was nine months old that we would immigrate to the States and bring the business home. Absolutely stressful. Again, we bet the farm. We moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I had about enough money to support us for a year. And I absolutely remember, and to immigrate to this country can be tricky, and it was. And um, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, he said, you better make enough money, you better be profitable, and you better show that you've got employees within a year or you're going to be coming back this way. And so I just put my head down again and realized if I surrounded myself with the right employees, the right people, we could get to anywhere we want, and we could take on all comers and win. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I came to the states then. What what was the big what was the biggest draw to come to the states? Was it just the opportunity? Was it purely the business opportunity? How did it feel leaving home? Also, yeah, there was two sides to it. So back then, 
that thing called the internet was just clicking in and we'd get inquiries from all over the States. We'd fly down, we'd see them and they never believed that we would service them like we should, we should in the right way. So it was almost a no brainer. This is before join me and WebEx and zoom and what have you. There was, there was no virtual anything back then. <laughs> Crazy how we make decisions. I had this beginner's mindset. I said, well, I need to be in an area with a, you know, a good size of market. Um, I need to be an airport that's easy to fly in and out of. So I looked at Chicago, but I didn't want to be cold. But they ended up being a fabulous market, that Chicago land area. I looked at San Francisco, and a friend of mine who was there working in Silicon Valley way back in the day, that was 96, said, you know, Scott, you might want to reconsider because we get a lot of flights that don't take off because of the fog. Mm-hmm. So you might want to look somewhere warmer. So Phoenix was the perfect fit for an airport that could get me all over the country without a lot of um, cancellations of direct flights. So it's kind of crazy that I made the decision based on that. But as so it happens, uh, the state of Arizona was changing their rules for how schools were going to report on uh, data, grades, attendance, scheduling. So it was the perfect place for us to land and expand from. Okay. Okay. So you your your product was education based. So what what exactly was it that you were competing um, or kind of going back and forth with Apple on? What exactly was the product? How did it tie into education? Yeah, so we competed against Apple, McGraw Hill, uh, in the likes of Google in the end. But the product was a school administrative software product that took care of grades, tenants, library, uh, sending out report cards back to parents. Uh, busing, you name it. So we really pulled all those sectors together in the school administrative software market. An interesting thing is we grew, we had about 30 modules in the end that would allow a school to really one run based on one platform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I remember as a teacher, I used uh, PowerSchool was the big one that we used. <laughs> they were our big competitor. Um, we were earlier to the market than them, but when they arrived on scene, that's when we realized we needed to really pivot because they came on when SAS became a big deal. We went through a complete rewrite to be able to compete against them. And we did really well in our chosen markets. We just didn't have the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in our back pocket to take the next step. And that's when we really had to make a decision if we wanted to continue or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you moved to Arizona and from there, from there, we grew the business, and I was lucky enough to grow to about 3,000 schools around North America and Europe. But while doing so, I realized I loved the climate in San Diego and just felt like it was the right fit. And crazy enough, Patrick, the people in San Diego reminded me of the people in Alberta. Just really nice, down-to-earth people. And it was a perfect fit. Awesome. Yeah. I always, you know, I went to college with a lot of Canadians and I always say that they're just a different breed, man, you know, but they are, you know, and this is stereotyping completely, but their Canadians are just so much more just, they're very relaxed. I think they're very personable. They're kind of chill, you know, and no, and knowing you, Scott too, you know, I, <laughs> I think you fall exactly into that, that persona right there. But uh, the other thing is they love to party, man. Well, I've got to be careful. I'm, I'm thinking ahead a couple of weeks. I'm going back to Canada. I haven't been back <laughs> a couple of years to, due to obvious reasons. Uh, I'm going back to Canada, so my whole family is going to be together. 
they always say, you know, Scott, they shook the Canadian out of you. I'm like, come on, guys, like, I'm the same person. So you grow up in Canada, you got to be brutally authentic. So we'll be we'll be downing a few Molson Canadians and having a great time when I go back. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, there's not a lot of Canadians that are frequent surfers, I would imagine, like yourself, huh? Well, that's the other part that's a total blast, because I, when I started to learn how to surf, I was a decent snowboarder. But I hired a professional coach to teach me how to surf. And my my friends were like, you're hiring a surfing coach? I'm like, yeah, you know, I was sort of late 30s, early 40s. Most kids pick it up when they're 9, 10, 11. I still got a lot of ground to gain. So here I am, fast forward 16 years. I love to surf so much that um, on any given day, I'm trying to plan my sessions, calls, and meetings around a good break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Like I mentioned, I mentioned this earlier. the 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 outdoor stuff like that has always been a huge part um, for you. Like you said, snowboarding, skiing, cycling, surfing. What is it, Scott, about all of those things that does it for you? You know, is it the competitiveness of it? Is it the getting away mentally, checking out? Because um, you, I mean, you really prioritize that stuff in your life. I know it's extremely important to you. Yeah, you know, Patrick, I'll put a, a shameless plug in for two different books. Um, one is obviously Traction, and Gino Wickman, who wrote the book, talks about taking clarity breaks, and I put that into my own life, and I talk about it a lot in the Entrepreneur's Field Guide, about the fact that if you can step back and take a clarity break, and that clarity break can be two hours, can be four hours, and for me, often it's a day, and just separate yourself from the world, get on your mountain bike, go smell the roses, go sit on your surfboard, and just catch some waves or think about what's going on and turn the noise off, one or two or three solutions are going to come to mind, and they're just going to let them really propel forward in the next day, the next week, and maybe even the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for that. I, You know, both of us as implementers, I know we talk with teams and leaders about that all the time, and I was actually just meeting with a team last week, and we were talking through that Clarity Break tool, and it's amazing how many people never stop to slow down and just take the time. And, you know, and, and I always, I always open it up to, by asking people, when do you get the most creative ideas? And people always throw out things like, Oh, and I'm mowing the lawn or I'm in the shower or, you know, doing something just mind numbing, you know, where you're not thinking, you're not focusing because it just gets your creative juices flowing. And it, uh, And and so many people, I think, are stressed and anxious, too, because they don't take the time to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Patrick, when I'm on my mountain bike, I've always got my piece of paper and a pen close by. I write down ideas or thoughts. I'm usually up around 4.30 at 5, rewriting my book or thinking of different ideas. It gives me all kinds of clarity. There's no no noise. Because I've got a session that day. I'm absolutely focused on my clients. But days when I don't have sessions, if it's a buffer day and I'm prepping, I still take half an hour to an hour in the morning, go with my wife. We take our dog for a walk or I find some time during that day just to turn off all the noise because we can both become so overwhelmed so quickly with all the things that are coming at us. We've got to step back and, and really think through what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely don't take enough time to do that. I will agree. Okay. So in Phoenix, your business is going well, competing. Uh, you said you were, had 3,000 schools. Uh, what happened from there, Scott? Well, interesting enough, um, as the world happens, if you do the right things, you're going to find opportunities. 
So my kids are playing t-ball, and they're five and seven, and they're running to this really cool guy that uh, was starting a last-minute tea time service. Back in the day, it was called Golf 480, which was the Scottsdale area code, and then it was Golf 602, which was for Phoenix. And the guy's name was Brett Darrow, and the company he was building became Golf Now. And I was lucky enough, it wasn't my idea, but lucky enough to get it on the ground floor. I put my money down, owned a couple, the rights to a couple of different areas, and then employed a staff to help grow our region and really learn to talk an awful lot from Brett as he grew Golf Now into what it is today. So it was a pretty cool experience. But I had this juggling match going on. I had School Logic, I had Golf Now, and I was advising four or five other businesses that I also invested in. So as you can imagine, I had a lot of plates here. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have did you have family at the time too trying to balance all that? Oh yeah. We had uh, we had our two kids and it was my wife. We had no family around us, you know, extended family. So my poor wife loved her to death. Uh, we're coming up on 30 years and she should have left me 30 times, but um, <laughs> I was just heads down working 12 to 17 hours and totally stretched thin. So I had some tough decisions to make and I ended up focusing just on school logic while still advising and helping others, but really working to button up the sale of that project so that I could then move on to doing what I'm doing now, which is coaching and advising. Mm-hmm. Okay. So walk, walk us through the exit of that company then. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I can't go into all the details, but we were able to sell to one of our competitors and the neat thing about it is a lot of the employees that were with us for a long time, they're still there and they're loving what they do. Um, and it wasn't until later on, Patrick, that I had a real eye-opening experience with another firm I was exiting from that really taught me a lesson. And it wasn't School Logic, it was another. Uh, and I will not name the name of the business, but my business partner, we both had lawyers represent us, but our business partner... Um, went to his lawyer and they had the contract changed so that my, my shares were a different class than his ended up getting into a bit of a messy lawsuit. And the interesting thing thing that happened in the end is he had to, to really uh, turn things around for himself personally. But I realized from right there and then I wasn't going to surround myself or do business with people who didn't have the same integrity live and breathe with the same core values as me. Cause it's just not worth it. The money's not worth it. The frustration is not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the man. There's so much truth to that, Scott. You know, and and as you know, you know, as we talk with businesses, the importance of of core values and doing business with people that share those same values. You know, I always call it the values filter. You know, anybody you work with, any decision you make, a client, a vendor, a customer, a new employee. You know, do you run them through that core values filter first and foremost? And uh, business, we all make mistakes. I think, especially early on. You know, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, sometimes you don't realize you're making the mistake. Other times you kind of have to jump off the jump off the cliff and take a risk, you know, whether it is with with particular people, situations, whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, the, the longer you go and the longer you do this, you really, really realize the importance of those values of if you follow, if you follow people, things, whatever that do not align with those values. It's not a matter of if you get burned. It's a matter of when and how badly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
one of the best tools in our EOS toolbox is that people analyzer. Mm-hmm. I not only use that in my life, my friends, I'm not going to surround myself with people who don't live and breathe with my core values in mind as well. But when I'm onboarding a client, I go back and forth with them and let them know what my core values are. And we're having that onboarding discussion. I want to make sure that they are humbly confident. They do what they say, um, that they really follow through on that. And for me, I need to make sure that they're brutally authentic and there's no secrets or innuendos or politicking going on in their business because it's absolutely important. Uh, we've got to surround ourselves with the right people. Yep, absolutely. And for you, Scott, I know this from this point forward, you know, it really sets you in the direction that that you unknowingly maybe wanted to go and needed to go. And I think that is so common with entrepreneurs where sometimes it takes that one time getting burned or that one that one moment where your back is put up against the wall where you really completely launch um, into whom or where you need to be. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my kids this morning over text. Um, they were giving me a hard time about the stock market. Um, I'm the guy, I'm those guys that held Bitcoin when it was $30 back in the day. And I look at stocks as a bit of a roulette wheel, but I look at my career as something that's an absolute long game. And one of my mentors back in 99, 2000 said, you know, Scott, you're probably one of the best coaches, one of the most driven guys I've ever met. And I think you need to really look at a career being an entrepreneurial coach. And when you exit from these other businesses, maybe it's the businesses you have skin in that you'd be the best coach for. You can come in and give them a 40,000-foot perspective, and you're not emotionally attached to them. And for me, that was an absolute aha moment. Stocks, Bitcoin, cryptos, those can be flighty, but business is real. And being a coach that can really dig in and provide that third-party advice is something I absolutely love doing. Because mm-hmm. how, how long have you been an EOS implementer, Scott? Yeah, just over five years now. Um, but I've been a management consultant for the last 14. Okay. Okay. So we've got to be, got to be careful with that at EOS. We're not consultants. So we can say at a nine year career prior to getting involved with EOS, which was an interesting journey as well, Patrick, because I had something that I called the Scott operating system and (laughs) I'd go in and really retool and help people with their businesses. And it wasn't until my wife pointed out that uh, that stands for SOS. I said, yeah, you beat I know me that. to it. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, I get up four or five businesses a year, but the tools I was providing would give them blips along the way. And some of them did really well, but some of them failed. And it wasn't until I took the simple, practical tools and really started to teach them purely and properly that all of my clients absolutely got everything they wanted out of their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's truly awesome being an implementer. You know, uh, you, you you truly are helping business owners live their ideal lives. You know, and it's, I always find it, I'm sure, I'm sure you can um, second this one, Scott, but it's always interesting when, when we sit down with teams initially, you know, and you walk them through that 90 minute meeting and you start talking about the obstacles and the struggles and things, but there isn't one business owner I don't think I've ever sat down with where there's just a heaviness about them around, you know, 
I need to get out of this somewhat. I'm in too deep. I'm working too many hours. My family's suffering. I'm suffering. You know, I need a team that's going to take more ownership, more accountability for things. And they're just trying to do it all. They're trying to do it all. And then on the flip side of that, they have a death grip on everything because they know everything. They've created it all. They know it from top to bottom, inside out. And they're trying. They want to let go, but it is so difficult for them to let go of it. It is. We call that letting go of the vine. And I can tell you, I've got a handful of clients right now that are going through that process right now. But it's really a journey. And if people can embrace the journey and understand the long game, and typically it's an 18 to 24-month journey with us, but their long game can be something longer, something more meaningful, and they can really get there. And we always say that you've got to be able to love who you're working with, make a huge difference in the world, a huge impact, but really be passionate about what you're doing. And in my experience, I'm not sure if it's 100% similar with you, Patrick, but in my experience, one thing between success and failure so when there's that consistent system in place, I don't care if it's business, sports, or life, but a system that ensures you've got that clear vision for your organization and that system that says, hey, we've got to ensure we've got the right people in the right seats working with discipline and accountability in that open, honest, healthy environment, you can take on most anyone and win. And I think Patrick Lencioni said it best. It's not finance, it's not technology. It's not strategy, it's teamwork that's the ultimate competitive advantage. And if we can get a team working in unison, gosh, I would say the moon, but I guess with Elon, we've got to say Mars. We can probably land on Mars together. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's all about great leaders don't lead organizations. They lead the people behind the organization. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the cool thing about great leaders is they've always got in mind that they're growing other great leaders. And if they can grow one great leader, and that leader they grew grows another one. That's what success looks like to me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's it's that compounding effect. So, what what have been the biggest lessons you've learned through your journey, Scott? I mean, as a competitive athlete, as a serial entrepreneur, as a coach, um, consultant, everything that you've done. What have been your biggest learnings and, and takeaways from this life thus far? I've had some incredible mentors, and I still do to this day. I've got a fabulous coach that points out my blind spots. And you've got to have these people that you surround yourself with that are not yes men or women, and they can be brutally honest with you and point out how others are perceiving you, and they can push you to heights you'd never imagined. And that could be in business, life, relationship, whatever it may be. You got to have a great mentor or two. You got to have a coach that can poke you in the nose and point out those blind spots. And if people don't have those people around them, they've got to go and search because that's been the a massive advantage for me. Yeah, it's that concept of iron, iron sharpening iron. You know, I was with a team the other day and um, they were debating about bringing on a uh, on an bringing on another team member. And I asked the leader, I looked right at him and I said, are you willing to bring this person on because they are going to sharpen everybody on your team? And he goes, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, they're going to be forward with you. They're going to be forward with every person on your team. They're going to challenge everything. But I said, you, you 
can't look at it as a negative or something holding you back. I said, you're going to have to be able to view it as something positive that is changing you and shaping you for the better. And it was really, it was really interesting just seeing his wheels turn to see if he was actually, uh, actually going to be accepting of that because some business leaders, uh, they don't want that. You know, they don't want, they, they feel intimidated. They feel um, like someone's stepping on their toes. Um, but man, I'm sure you would agree. You know, the best leaders that you come across, so they're the ones that openly embrace that and they want it. They need it. Like you said, you know, they want to be punched in the nose. They want to be, uh, they want their, they want con- constructive criticism because it's all about the, the success of the business at the end of the day. Yeah. A fellow implementer, uh, Sarah Stern had a great quote the other day when she was talking about a family business. It really came back to the emperor was wearing no clothes and everyone was, you know, clapping saying, Oh, you look fabulous emperor. But it was the kid that had to stand up and say, you're naked. And if anybody on a leadership team has got the gall and everyone on the leadership team has got to be able to point out those flaws, Hey, you're naked. You don't have any clothes on. And by the way, if we're going to grow this business, we've got to be brutally honest with one another. We've got to be able to let go of that vine and really work towards our version of success. Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. So let's talk about this for a minute, Scott. Where? Because I think you know a lot of a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, listening to this episode are going, "Yeah, you know, I've thought about coaching, whether it's for myself or my business, but uh, I don't really know where to start or what to look for." Um, what advice would you give to somebody? whether it's a business owner or an individual of maybe considering going down that path of coaching, finding somebody to work with, what would your advice be? Well, if you want to be an entrepreneurial coach, you better have it your DNA, which means, you know, for me, Hey, uh, in high school, I was coaching kids ho- hockey and soccer and baseball in college. I ran summer camps. I'd coach kids. It's in my DNA. And even to the fact that, I've been called in to coach our kids' teams still at an older age. I love that coaching side. So if you want to be a coach, you'd better be able to do it in sports. You'd better be able to do it in other facets of life. Maybe you're a band director or you're coaching actors or you're coaching other people in the area of the arts, whatever it may be. You've got to have it in your DNA because you just can't fake it. If you're not a coach, you're not a coach. Mm-hmm. Don't even put your money down. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I think, I think it's, it's one of those things that's very hardwired into somebody. So how about if you're looking at being coached, where does one start? One again needs to look at their blind spots and we've got a great tool at EOS called the delegate and elevate checklist. If you take a look at who you are, what you love to do, you're great at, you circle those items and then you go to the body and say, well, what do I like to do? And I'm not good at, and you can circle those items. You can say, well, I'm not good at running a leadership team or I'm not good at getting what I want from my business. I can't stay on track right then. That tells me you need assistance. You need help. And that's where you've got to put your hand up and say, I'm not getting what I want. Who do I turn to, to really push me in the right direction? And if you've got those things, your delegate and elevate checklist saying you need some help, that's a perfect time to put your hand up. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, Scott, because I think, man, that is probably one of the most valuable tools that we use as implementers with uh, with businesses and owners and leadership teams. You know, uh, just identifying what are the areas that I don't like to do within my business and what are the things that I am not good at. 
And, you know, you, you, you always run across those team members that are like, oh, you know, I kind of like to do everything. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at all of it. And I, and I always kind of just raise my eyebrow, like, really? There's nothing that you'd want to get rid of or not do? You know, and those are usually yeah. those are the kind of the, the, uh, control freaks maybe a little bit. But yeah, that tool is so, so, so useful because it really quickly identifies like, man, what do I need to let go of? Or what do I need help with? What do I need to be coached on? You know, maybe, yeah. you know, especially entrepreneurs, it's like, man, you're wearing so many hats. You could use coaching in, in some of those areas that maybe you can't let go of yet um, because it's just not, it's not time or you don't have the resources maybe yet. Yeah, more often than not, when we go in those kind of situations, we realize that they've got a leadership team around them that's not working at their highest and best use. Another another great book that hopefully your leaders uh, or your readers uh, dig into is a book called Essentialism, written by Greg McKinn. And he always says, is this my highest and best use? Is this the best use of my time right now? And a lot of times we'll go into those entrepreneurial leadership teams with that delegate and elevate checklist, and we'll find out that no one's really got their arms around the culture of the business. No one's really poking people in the nose when it comes to scorecard, rock, discipline, accountability. Nobody's got their arms around how to run a proper meeting or have the right meeting pulse mm -hmm. so we can get on the same page. So when people are struggling with those issues as well, Patrick, that's a good time to put your hand up. Of course, we're impartial. Look for an EOS coach in your region or have Patrick or myself refer you to one. But it's that point in time where you really take a look in the mirror and ask you if you're getting everything you want. Yeah. I always, you know, I always challenge business owners too, Scott, around the idea of everything is time, money. You know, if your time is much better spent, you know, doing business development or whatever part it is within your business that, that you're great at, you know, are you better off paying you know, two, three, four hundred dollars an hour or something like that, having somebody else do it, if it can open you up to making tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands more to do what you actually love doing, I mean, then it's a no brainer. You know, but I think a lot of time I think a lot of times business owners really fail to look at it like that. Of like, oh, I can't afford that, I can't afford it. Well, can you afford to not do it? You know? And it's and it's a double win. You know, you, you pay some money, you have somebody take this off your plate. Now that's getting done, but now it op also opens you up to do more of what you really want to be doing and should be doing, which is going to allow you to make more money or make a bigger impact. Yeah, I was uh, speaking with a bunch of entrepreneurs who are an EO about a month ago, the Entrepreneurs Organization. I really framed the talk around the fact that success really isn't rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's about getting clear on what you want and focusing on it making sure you're surrounding yourself with people who are disciplined accountable accountable and again you got to have those right people in the right seats because if everyone's like you it's not going to work you've got to have a lot of different individuals in that room with their own unique ability to be able to get yourself there yep absolutely yeah i was just recently actually putting together a huge four-day workshop for a, a nationally based marketing company here and i was as i was putting it together you know i'm i'm always a begin with the end in mind so I always ask them, like, all right, if you could walk out of this workshop with, you know, three big takeaways that you'd really want out of it around leadership, what would it be? And they listed all these things, you know, yeah, we have trouble. We have trouble with issues and we have trouble with communication and, you know, healthy conflict. And there's some trust things and, you know, a whole slew of random things. And as I was putting together the workshop, I immediately came right to the very beginning of Clarity. You know, the very, very first thing that we're going to talk about is, 
are you clear on all these different pieces of your business? You know, are you clear on things like your values? Are you clear on the roles that people have? You know, are you clear on just your overall organizational clarity? Because what I, what I find, and uh, I'm sure you see the same thing, Scott, or very similar, is so much of it comes back to lack of clarity within a business or within an individual themselves. Yeah, it's great. Well, I think that sort of dovetails into another fabulous EOS tool, which is the VTO or the Vision Traction Organizer, which is, is absolutely genius. It's two pages, a two-page business plan. What's your core values? What's your core focus? What can you do better than anyone else on this planet? Okay, where do you want to be in 10 years, three years, one year? What's your marketing strategy? How are we going to spend our precious dollars on marketing? What are our 90-day rocks? What do we need to achieve every 90 days and what are our issues? And if you can get clear on those eight things on your VTO in a business, I think you got a heck of a chance at getting what you want. Yeah, it is amazingly simple. You know, and anybody listening, if you're if you're a business um, owner, leadership team member, whatever, uh, pull that VTO. We'll we'll link it in the in the show notes here as well. But man, pull from that toolbox and start using some of these things if you have not yet, because it it will absolutely absolutely change the way that you do business, and it will start to open up the uh, biggest thing. Probably is it'll start to open up the conversations that you need to be having within your business and start creating the clarity that you need within your business around those items. Well, Pat, should we have some fun around the VTO? Can I just flip it right on its head? Sure. <laughs> he says nervously. Um, <laughs> you know, the interest, <laughs> the one thing I love about our implementer community is actually some folks have taken the business VTO and created a personal VTO. Yeah. So that VTO can also apply to your life. What are your passions? What do you want to get out of your life? What's your legacy going to be? So there's just a fabulous tool that we use internally at EOS, which is that personal VTO that allows you to really stay clear on your own core values. And I've done this exercise with my wife, and bless her soul again, coming up on 30 years, but we're aligned. We know what we want out of our life. Uh, one of my big pieces of my legacy is not only leave things for my family, but in the short term, I'll be 60 years old, about four and a half years, and I've got something called 60 for 60, which means I'm going to travel to 60 countries by the time I'm 60, and I've got 18 countries left. Well, she knows that I'm possessed with this, and she loves world travel, so those are both of our passions, and we can get aligned on that. And now we're empty nesters. It makes our marriage so much easier. Awesome. What what countries do you have coming up soon? Ah. <laughs> oh. Love it. We were just talking about that this morning. Um, we are after the uh, EOS conference in Orlando. We're going to be leading on the 22nd of April. We're going to go to Iceland, then to, to uh, Dublin, to Ireland. We're off to Copenhagen, Amsterdam, Brussels. And then we'll have to see if my uh, favorite Premier League soccer teams are in the hunt. We might go back to the UK and watch a couple of football games. So, those are the next five, six countries that are coming up in the spring. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what a person picks up from traveling the world, that is for sure. So hey Scott, what's the next what's the next big thing for you? What do you have kind of on tap or um the next exciting piece here coming? 
I appreciate it. I'm going to put in the shameless plug for my book. I'm going to a rewrite as we speak. Uh, it's called The Entrepreneur's Field Guide. We've sold out a couple times. Um, I've got a handful of copies left. And Patrick, I'd be more than happy to sort of put the price uh, as cheap as possible. So if pe- people want to pick it up, um, just cover the price of shipping. But we're going through a big rewrite right now. Uh, we're adding a few more chapters in when it comes to designing the life that you want to live. And there's about 40 chapters in there right now, but I've picked up some really cool life lessons in the last year and a half. So we'll be adding those in in the next short while. Awesome. Yeah, we'll be sure to link that in here, Scott, for everybody to grab that. So, Yeah, and Patrick, within the new rewrite, we're really digging into avoiding the herd, putting the past to the rest. So many people are so focused in the past. I've got this great instance that I learned from a fabulous coach named Steve Hardison. He said, you know what, Scott, the present is the present, but the future is anything you want it to be. And if you're going to get to the future, you've got to put those preconceived notions to bed. And so when I meet someone that maybe I've had a disagreement with or a family member that I didn't get along that well with, I reintroduce myself. I'll say, hey, I'm Scott. Now, what's your name? And they'll kind of look at me weird. And I'll just give them a hug and say, let's bygones be bygones, move ahead together and see if we can't make the future greater than the past. So I'm having an absolute blast on the self-discovery and the process of rewriting the book. Awesome. Awesome. Well, best of luck with that, Scott. Like I said, um, check that out in the show notes here. We will link that uh, so everybody can pick that up. So, Okay. Well, Scott, I greatly appreciate you coming on the show today here. Um, some awesome, awesome thoughts around, man, everything from EOS tools to um, how to live your ideal life and as well as just, man, overcoming adversity. Because whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a parent, spouse, doesn't matter, who, what you do, um, you're always going to run across adversity, and it's all about how you handle it. That is for sure. Appreciate the time, and I'm honored to be on the show. Thanks, Patrick. Hey, awesome. Where can our listeners uh, find and follow you, Scott? Uh, simply go to my website, scottrusnack.com. Uh, the book is also on Amazon, but I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn if anyone wants to reach out. Send me a nice sentence, and I'd be happy to, to connect us on LinkedIn as well. All right. If you can't find him there, you guys can catch him on the slope for the wave. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, awesome, Scott. Thanks again. Uh, and with that, everybody, don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can search for Patrick Mester Coaching. Uh, thanks so much for listening, tuning into the episode with Scott Rusnick. Uh, be sure to subscribe to rate the podcast. Um, like I mentioned earlier, notes, you will find those on my website at patrick-metzger.com. Go ahead and find Scott's episode on there. And uh, go ahead and share the episode with somebody that needs to hear the message. So until next time, I want to remind everybody to own you and the journey.